when our children were little, it was one of the greatest phases of their lives and of our lives. And I have so many positive memories of these kids God used to teach me so much and, and still is teaching me through them. All three of our our children were compassionate and and each taught me once. I remember once standing in a long line at the, the BMV and that's usually not a fun place to be and uh, a little bit of everything going on in that room and there was a, a, a man who was was up there at the, the counter and, and he had a very pronounced speech impediment, was really having a difficult time communicating. And everyone there felt sorry for him. He was self-conscious. It was just an awkward scene. And as we took our turn and then walked out to the parking lot, Justin, our, our youngest, was probably about five at the time. And he said, Dad, that man couldn't talk so good, could he? I said, no, no, he, he couldn't. He said, I said a prayer for him when we were in there. I said, way to go, buddy. That's, that's great. Well, we've been empty nesters now for seven years, and uh, we can attest to the, the time of parenting goes very quickly. Everyone always told me how fast that happens and, and how quickly your kids grow up and, and, and leave and and I thought, eh, it can't be that fast, but it's faster than I even imagined. Typically, there are 936 weeks from childbirth until graduation. And so we don't want to miss any of those critical phases of growing up. So whether you are a parent, a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, or a spiritual uncle or aunt exerting an influence over the young life of a neighbor child or the young one in your class at church, we all have a responsibility to have an influence on children because children matter to God. Childhood is a very important phase of life, and children are able to learn quickly. They just sponge up things that's why if you can learn a, a foreign or second language in those early years, you'll absorb that and have that for life. And it's so much tougher for, for those of us who are adults to, to, to learn a foreign language. They say that the majority of uh, individuals' overall learning happens during those first five years of life. And so embracing... <clears throat> is that key word to describe our response to provide children with what they are, are needing. We want to help them to, to know they are safe and they are loved. And so we learn from the Gospels that Jesus placed a high value on young children. Let's begin in Luke chapter 18 and start in verse 15. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive 
the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter. And so that that key phrase spoken by Jesus was, let the little children come to me. And Jesus described that response for adults to make if we want to live with God for eternity. He said, you must become like a little child if you are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples saw this throng of of parents with their children, kind of thrusting them at the the visiting uh, Messiah, they were wanting to send them away so that Jesus could focus on the adults who were present. And Jesus said, wait a minute, bring the children to me. And that's still the directive for us today. We want to invite, we want to include, we want to direct the young to know, to follow, and to love Jesus. That's the responsibility of every Christian adult. Bring the child to Jesus remains our rule. Jesus loved children. He saw their purity, their, their playfulness, their, their innocence. They were quick to trust. He held them up as the standard for adults to follow in those regards. Last Sunday night, I, I ran into Kroger to grab a couple of quick items and make it home to watch the Bengals game. And walking in from the parking lot at the same time with the same mission was Jay Gherkin, along with his young twin daughters, Kennedy and Harper. And when the girls saw me and, and recognized me from church, they, they ran up and each of them tagged me as if to say, you're it. And they, they giggled and they hurried off and they went to get their essential snacks for the game. And Jay and I both accomplished our objective in record time. We were returning to the parking lot at the same moment, but this time... I tagged both girls, and now they were it. More laughter, more youthful joy, more big grins. That's what Jesus loves about children. That's what adults leave behind sometimes as we age. So a question that I'm asked sometimes is, do you baptize babies at at BCC? And before I answer that, let me give you some background for context, uh, and that will help explain my answer. In the Bible, there was no mention or practice of baptizing infants. This began much later, and, and it stemmed from the belief of some theologians in what they call original sin. It's an opinion that some theologians had that we inherited Adam's sin, and therefore we are considered sinful at the time of birth. Some have used Psalm 51 as a a proof text that children are sinful in the womb even before birth. King David said in, in Psalm 51 verse 5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. The biblical practice of hermeneutics, or scripture interpretation, rests on the principle of context before content. 
And understanding that the setting of a statement gives clarity to, to accurately grasp the, the Bible writer's intended communication. So what was the context of that verse, Psalm 51? Well, it was a song of shame and remorse composed by King David following his adultery with Bathsheba, the, the wife of one of his bravest soldiers. This brave soldier, Uriah, was called back to the capital with the intended premise of deception so that his recent uh, visit home would correspond with the timing when Bathsheba had become pregnant with David's child. But this faithful military leader that he was, Uriah, declined the comfort of visiting his wife. And, and so David gave the head general orders to place Uriah on the front line where the fighting was the fiercest and then to retreat, leaving him exposed alone to perish on this suicide mission that would serve to cover up David's adultery. David, this formerly godly servant, had succumbed to adultery and then to murder in order to protect his reputation and conceal his wrongdoing. When Nathan, a brave prophet, confronted David about his deception, David broke, confessing everything and begging God for forgiveness. And everyone in Israel found out about his dark secret. And so Psalm 51 was a worship song written by David. It was his song of repentance, his taking responsibility for his sin, his cry out to God for grace, for forgiveness, for a new heart. Psalm 51 talks about snow, and they do get snow in Israel. And it said, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow, like the the beautiful blanket of snow that we're experiencing here today. And then he said, create in me a clean heart. Let me start over. Give me another chance, Lord. But as he's describing how he felt, this, this song is kind of a, a blues version of bad to the bone. David is saying, I am bad. I, I am so evil. I, I've always been wicked. I, I was so bad that even when I was a, a fetus floating in amniotic fluid in my mother's womb, I was bad. It was hyperbole, emphasizing how deeply he felt about his sin. It summed up how remorseful he was, but it was not to be taken as a commentary that innocent children are sinners. Jesus made it clear, to the contrary, children are pure. Children are sinless. Children are the standard for adults to emulate in terms of trust and obedience. So baptism to remove the perceived sin was, in, uh, was administered on infants to, to cover them until they could make a decision to follow Christ themselves. And since it would be problematic to immerse a tiny infant, sprinkling was developed as an, an alternate mode of, of baptism. I'd like to push back on those theological conclusions that are based on that supposition that children are, are born in sin, that they're evil. I, I don't think that's the case. My understanding of the Bible is that 
what we inherited from Adam was physical mortality. Our, our bodies will age, decline, and die. Jesus didn't believe that children were filthy little reprobates, just the opposite. A baby isn't capable of willful disobedience or defiance against God. Babies know if they're hungry, tired, or need a diaper change. They aren't ready to make a moral decision of right or wrong or to choose submission to God's authority. So instead of being born evil, children are pure. They're sinless. They're innocent. They're safe before God. Why else would Jesus have said, you must become like a child? Unless you become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of God. I believe we all reach an age of accountability where we become responsible for our decisions to deny God's way. And and when we have opted to do things our own way instead of God's way, that's sin. Then we move from being in that safe state to entering a, a state of being lost in, in rebellion against God and his moral authority. And so salvation is this choice to surrender to the lordship of Christ, to submit ourselves to living under his will, his word, his way for our lives. And the age at which we become responsible for that is, is different with, with each individual. I've seen some spiritually precocious eight-year-olds who truly get it and are equipped to make that most important life decision and follow through on it for a lifetime. I've seen some 18-year-olds who I'm not sure really grasp the scope of, of right versus wrong. And so God knows each individual in his or her readiness, his or her culpability. And that's between each individual and God. But since an infant is not born sinful, since an infant is not capable of sinning, since an infant is not capable of committing to following Jesus, since uh, an infant is not able to follow the example of Jesus and, and be immersed, there's really no basis for an infant to be sprinkled or baptized. Our, our focus remains to equip and strengthen Christian parents to love, to nurture, to teach, to prepare their children so that those kids will grow and will want to personally choose to obey Christ, to follow him, to live for him. As well-intended as a parent might be, my parents cannot make my decision for me whether or not I will follow the Lord. It is each individual's personal prerogative, this determination to follow Jesus or to forsake Jesus. Parents really can't make that decision for their children. One thing that is crystal clear is that Jesus placed a high value on children. The second thing I want you to see is that we should place a high value on young children. I'm going to ask 
for my wife, Johnny Stone, to, to come up for, to the front here with me. We're going to have a conversation. Um, Johnny is a wife, a, a mother of three, grandmother of three. He's been a, a preschool teacher for 38 years. What, what is your greatest joy of, of working with children? I think that my greatest joy is to be able to, um, I have that wonderful uh, time in a child's life, that preschool age, to be able to introduce to them uh, their maker, uh, the, per the, the God who made them. I like to convey to them just how much God loves them and that he made them and he knows what's best for them. And um, what I teach them a little song. I love to use songs. I love, love po poems. They seem to grasp those things, uh, and it gets in their brain, and also it gets in my brain. I have a preschool brain. Really, I'm just a preschooler, and a what? I, I always forget how old I am. In six, uh, 60s body, I am a preschooler, I think, deep down inside, and I'll always be. And so the way that they learn is sometimes just the way that's best for me to learn. And I, I teach in this little poem, and it's um, before the beginning, before there was time, before there was earth, and before there was sky, before God made the ocean, before God made dry land, that God loved you and me. And isn't that just the basics there? And it what does it start with? You know, in the, in the beginning, there was God, but there was love, and love always has been and always will be the eternity of love and to introduce to them that fact is so that gives me so much joy um, abstract concept by you know telling them about how God's visible to us right. it's kind of hard to um, for us to understand that this invisible God and so, you know, we can't necessarily see God with our eyes, but boy, we can see what he does. And uh, I will use balloons and children are just, they love them, no matter what. I mean, it just seems like you get out a balloon and it's so much fun, but it's a great teaching tool. You know, Jesus taught with parables. He taught with things that were around him. And that's what I like to do is bring that into teaching the children. And so I'll take that balloon and they could see the balloon. They could see the outside of the balloon. But as I blow it up, I will say, you can't see God, but you can see what he does. I go, what's happening to the balloon? You know, it's getting bigger. I go, can you see it? If I, if I blow, do, if I blow, do you see it come, the air coming out? No, no, no. It's making, it, but it made the balloon get bigger and bigger and bigger. We can't see God, but we can see what he does. And then it's really, really fun. Uh, this is the preschool and me. I, I just, I start playing with them <laughs> anyway. But when you, you know, I ask them, now, what do you think is going to happen when I let go of this balloon? Let them try to reason that out. It's all, all a part of a little science there of what happens with a balloon when you let the air out of it. And then, of course, you know, it flies all around the room. Then we'll do it a few times, and they get to predict where it's going to land. And, and then also what's fun is you can make a balloon talk like that. I've learned that just by playing with them. You know, you, it could sing the ABCs if you let it. So... So these are just little, you know, using those little concepts like that to help them to understand 
that even though you can't see God, you could sure see what he does. And I'm so thankful that many of the places, even here, when, when teaching the youngins, you got the outside, that you could look outside in this great, big, beautiful world. God has given us a great visual aid um, to, you know, to his greatness and his power. Use those object lessons and those things for you know, people to see, and I think that's a great thing to incorporate into teaching. So uh, I, I know you really try to help kids learn the concept of the Bible being our, our foundation uh, to trust and, and to read. What are some things you do to instill uh, a love, a confidence in, in the Word? Wow, that, that is so crucial and, uh, for them because, you know, that's our owner's manual. The Bible is our owner's manual. He loves us. He made us. So what? I always say to them, God made us. He loves us. So he knows what's best for us. And so the Bible is that for us, our owner's manual. Many times I will bring in the owner's manual for my car. And I say, well, if I had a problem with my car, I'd look up, oh, say that I couldn't figure out how the wipers worked. I can look it up because the person who made the car wrote down how those wipers work. And I said, that's a, I would tell them that's exactly what the Bible is for us. And then I, then I also will bring in, introduce to them the different stages of a Bible. And I would tell them, hey, look at this. Isn't this so wonderful? Now, my Bible is just a bunch of words. That's hard to, for you guys to understand because you're not reading yet. But look at these pictures in here. And this is a picture book. And it doesn't have everything that's in the Bible, in my Bible here but it does have important things for you to learn from pictures. And then I'll go into the ABCs. And I love to always point, when I worked at Tree Life Christian Schools, they were very intentional about uh, being holistic in their teaching. That when you're teaching them about their letters and their numbers, that you're bringing God into that. And so I said, that, you know, we'll sing the ABCs. And I say, you know what? The best thing about you learning all these letters and all these sounds is you're going to be able to string it together to make words, and you're going to be able to read the best book in the world, the Bible. And that's what I, a lot of patent on the Bible. You know, the best book in the world is the Bible to get that, that, oh, there's, there's so many wonderful books out there, but that's the best book in the world is the Bible, and that's what I try to emphasize for them. So what's different today? What's changed uh, th that you see? Will you give us an example of something that, that's different than when you began? What I have seen, there was one particular year. I, I worked at uh, Bright uh, Christian Preschool up there in Bright for, um, I think, maybe 10, 11 years. And what I was noticing more and more is that the caregivers were no longer the parents. It was the grandparents, and I even had one year, I had six grandparents that had custody of their children, of their grandchildren, of their grandchildren, because their, their kids were struggling. And I think that's what I'm seeing, and that really let me see, ooh, we're never through, are we? You know, and, and all of our ages as grandparents, you know, we are ministering and we are taking care of it. And so that was such a, a, a eye-opening thing that how important those grandparents and what there was even a great grandparent that was had um, custody of of their of their grandchildren. And also what I'm seeing from 
parents that I think is really great is that they're being very they're being intentional about watching the screen time with their children. I think it kind of swung very far, <laughs> you know, because it was so, there's so much out there for us, you know, for the kids and also to become sometimes little babysitters. But I've seen in my own kids how I'm so thankful that they are intentional, more intentional than I as now, uh, than we were really, we were, I mean, they thought they were deprived because we didn't have cable in our house. You know, they were typical little PBS kids, is what we would say. But to be, you know, be intentional about how much time they are spending in that, and um, and then also, you know, I think that um, what I've learned—a cute little story from my daughter—is that how you know they they they're very uh, they're not they don't get too frazzled by the big feelings. They try to talk them through the big feelings that they're having. And um, she, she, she gave an illustration or gave me this story that I thought was just so cute. They watched Daniel Tiger, and that's second generation um, Mr. Rogers, so if you don't know that. And so Daniel Tiger, they're little cartoon characters, but they really do emphasize on there how to um, it, it, it gives the kids tools in their little tool, tool bag of how to handle their feelings. And um, Jenny would even use this little song, like, uh, when you get so mad um, and you want to roar, um, stop and count to four. And it's one, two, three, four, slowly counting down. And so I'd see her doing it with the girls so much. And I thought, oh, this is really cute. I like that. And it's helping them to settle themselves down. Well, Jenny said that um, one morning, it was one of those mornings, some of you, if your mamas are out there online or uh, in here, that uh, they just weren't cooperating. You know, they couldn't get out the door. And she said, so why is it that we're always so late? I can't stand this. We're never going to get get there on time. And, and then little Winnie says, when you get so mad and you want to roar, <laughs> count to four. And Jenny says she just took a big breath. And it, that's the neat thing, too. You know, you teach them, they're going to teach you back, too. So. I think that was scripture when you were uh, teaching the kids about how God made them in their eyes. And they were different. Tell that the story about Shannon. Um, I had the kids all set nice to have them set in a rainbow so they could see each other and then they could, I'm a kind of a focus to help them too. And so um, I divided them in twos because we were talking about how God made us all different and how he made us the same. You know, we have all have eyes, but guess what? We have different color eyes. So we paired up and I had nine kids at that time. So I had to be a pair with a little girl named Shannon, sweet thing. Now she's 22. <laughs> but anyway, so we, um, we were sitting, and I go, okay, now look at your, your friend's eyes and tell me what color they are. So they went through and told, and then I got to Shannon. Okay, Shannon, what color are my eyes? And I opened them a little big, and she looked at them big at me, and she goes, they're red. And she was absolutely right. I had red eyes. I had, oh, no, honey, not the white part. Look at the middle. Look at the middle. But they're just so, so cute. And, and uh, another little boy, they take things kind of literally. He was, um, oh, oh, no, it was a little, a little girl who said that she couldn't go to heaven 
and, and, you know, but the teacher, this was actually told to me by another teacher. The teacher says, well, why can't you go to heaven? She goes, oh, because I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> so, yeah. It, and, and then another little boy, you know, when you're, this taught me about circling the wagons and seeing if they understand what you're saying. But um, I would teach them about parables. And the, what, what is a parable that Jesus taught in parables? He used the things around to teach us. And so I'd teach them this little course. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And you know what? This little boy raised his hand. He goes, hey, Miss Stone, is there, is there bad people in heaven? Is there bad ones? I go, well, well, I think there's forgiven people, but it's only good in heaven. There's nothing bad in heaven. She goes, he says, but you said there's heavenly meanies in there. Oh. <laughs> so I learned from that when I tell a concept to turn it around and see exactly what they've caught from it because they are very literal. They'll take things very literal. What lessons have you learned from, from young children? Trust. To trust in God. That, that you know, the, there's a reason why Jesus said to the big people when they were keeping the little children from coming to him, he turned to the big people and says, hey, you need to become more like them. And you let them come to me. And that's a great lesson to me is their trust. And they have short memories. What I mean by that, they'll get your concepts. And I think the more you, more repetition you do, the better they get it. But they have short memories. Out there, the sky could be falling for a child. And five minutes later, they are running happily in the playground. They've given it away and gone from it. And that's, a, that's something, not, you know, for me not to hold on to things, to give them to God, trust him to take it. And that's what they, then they too will learn that too, the more that we do that. And um, I think for me too, um, it's so important for them to understand to start each day thinking of God and relying on him. And I would do that with songs. And so many times these songs that I would do with, with the children are actually ministering to me as I begin to teach these children. And, you know, each day how we begin it should be in praise and in worship. And I know I've, I've, I would use songs like, um, oh, what a beautiful morning, oh, what a beautiful day. But I'd change it up. I have this wonderful feeling everything's going to go God's way. Now, is that a bold prayer? But, you know, you put that in your heart and in your mind. And can we pray like that? Absolutely, because, because that's the way Jesus taught us to pray. May be done here on heaven, uh, in, on earth as it is in heaven. So we could be bold enough to do that, but that speaks to us. What are we going to do today to make this a good day? And, and you know, that, you know, it's going to be a beautiful day. And I love to do that. I love to sing that song when it was raining and they were running in in their little boots and, in their, and it's dreary outside. Because you know what? We want to leave with them. Even when it's dreary outside, God is good. We could be happy on the inside. We could have happiness in our lives and joy in our lives, even if the outside's 
not going so great. Thanks so much. So let, let, let's keep going uh, in our, our, our message here as we progress to this, this next point, this next idea, this, this next concept that we, that we want to focus on. And just, um, you know, the idea that I would say to you who are uh, wanting to influence kids for good is we will make mistakes in our best efforts uh, to parent our young ones. I, I did. We all do. When you mess up with your kids, admit it. They already know it. So ask for forgiveness and then do better the next time. And, and this happened often enough that I developed a, a phrase and a policy that I uh, would use when I disciplined incorrectly. If I was quick to punish a child and then found out that there were some extenuating circumstances and and maybe I had jumped the gum on that, I would say, I owe you one, which was the equivalent of a get-out-of-jail-free card, meaning the next time that they were, uh, were responsible, that they'd already had consequences from, from the previous time. So may God's grace cover our weak human efforts in this sacred trust of guiding young people children to, to live their lives in the direction of God. And in order to do that, we need to, to maximize the moments. Author, popular speaker, Zig Ziglar, in his Texas accent, drawled, the way you spell love to a child is T-I-M-E. He's right. That speaks volumes. To, to show your interest, your concern, your love by, by spending time you know, with, with the child. I, I saw a Dennis the Menace cartoon in which he's talking with a friend and he explains to his buddy, that's almost as long as when your dad says, someday. You know, someday we'll do that. Someday we'll go to the zoo. Uh, someday we'll take that trip. Uh, someday we'll go fishing. And so... Be sure that you don't push things off till someday. Ephesians 5 verses 15 and 16 remind us how quickly time passes. And, and it challenges us, make the most of your time because time passes quickly. And Johnny has a, a picture of when our, our firstborn was, was an infant and she's holding him over his <coughs> bassinet. And there's this poem that was shared with her. It says, quiet down cobwebs, dust go to sleep. I'm rocking my baby and babies don't keep. You know, there'll be time to clean the house later, but you may only have a few moments to, to pour into that child and, and, and play. Deuteronomy chapter 6 teaches us to maximize those moments. And it says, beginning in verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. When do kids want to talk and open up? At bedtime. You know, I think part of that is, hey, we can prolong this and uh, postpone going to bed if I uh, talk about a problem or ask a question and but that's okay. That may be a time where they'll really dialogue with you. 
And that's in the Bible. When kids are lying down, getting ready to go to bed, when you're getting them up and getting them ready, when you're getting them to school, when you walk along the road, in our case, when you're driving in the car, use those teachable moments. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, you know, put up inspirational messages, uh, plaques, signs that will help to, to reinforce these, these attitudes, these, these ideas. Uh, be sensitive to teachable moments. Don't miss out on these often inconveniently timed learning opportunities. Uh, make the most of your time because that time container gets emptied so quickly. Uh, to put this in a perspective, if, if you have a 10-year-old child right now, you are already on the back nine of time with your child. Your 936 weeks are more than halfway done already. The, the final thing I want us to see this morning is we need to embrace children with unconditional love. We want to keep little ones safe and loved. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 6, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's Jesus talking. On my first trip to Israel, I saw a large ox grinding grain, turning a large millstone, crushing it. And I asked our, our tour guide, how much would one of those millstones weigh, remembering Jesus's ominous threat? He said, that stone probably weighs about 400 pounds. And Jesus warned that anyone who harmed or misled a child would be better off wearing a 400-pound millstone as a necklace and being dropped to drown in the depths of the sea. That, that's how serious he was about our need to, to keep little ones safe. And we want to keep little ones safe. Here at BCC, we require a, a background check, uh, and we do child safety training for our volunteers that help in that department. It's all for the protection of each child. We, we take this verse very seriously. We want to keep little ones safe, and we want to keep little ones loved. We want to model and, and demonstrate God's unconditional love to all of his young children whom we can influence and, and on their families and in our schools and in our neighborhoods, all throughout our community. It's never too late to start reshaping lives. There's a sign in a, a landscape nursery in Canada which reads, the best time to plant an oak tree was 25 years ago. The second best time is today. And I've seen grandparents often do a much better job as grandparents than they did as parents because they resolved, I I'm going to plant some seeds and, and grow up a, a towering oak tree. We have a great responsibility and an even greater opportunity to make an eternal difference in the lives of the fresh clay 
whom we can influence forever while it is still pliable, receptive, moldable to the Lord, open to him. We want to maximize this brief period of time, optimizing this moment. And so our assignment is to embrace these little ones with a a sense of security, a sense of safety, a sense of his unconditional love for them. Some of you have heard me share about when Jason, our oldest, was four years old, and he and I were sitting in the car parked outside a bank, and he began to test the limits of a father's love with his question, if I robbed a bank, would you still love me? Yes, I assured him, you you would get in a lot of trouble with the law, but yes, I, I would still love you. He went on, if I took drugs, would you still love me? I said, yeah, you could really hurt your body if you did that, but yes, I would still love you. What if I killed someone? I said, that that would break my heart, but I would still love you. There's nothing you could ever do that would make me stop loving you. And children need to be secure in the fact that they are loved unconditionally. That, That is how God loves us as adults, and how we are to love children. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul made that concept clear to all of us. Look with me in verse 38. He said, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love. He calls us to repentance. He wants to extend his grace to us. And when we receive his grace, although our sins be as scarlet, they can be whiter than snow. The old children's song said it well. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Jesus gave that consideration for us that unless we change and become like a child, we will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. But whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus made it clear to have salvation, we must come in humility, swallowing our our sense of pride, our our self-sufficiency, our our independence. And he declared, "I, I tell you the truth, no one will see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. John 3, 3. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. We're born of, of water when, when we are brought into this world. We travel through the birth canal, surrounded by that amniotic fluid. But we need to have a spiritual rebirth of coming to Christ, not just a physical birth. So if you want to know more about being reborn spiritually, 
we want to help you with your journey. And so we're going to stand right now. We're going to sing a song together of decision. You can feel free to come forward while we are singing. You can speak to one of us after the service is concluded. But we would love to help you become a child of God.